0: glad to be here with you this morning. Um, I love to preach the Word of God, whether it's at home or somewhere else. And so I'm thankful that I can be here and minister the Word of God to you. I pray that it will be helpful to you. pray that the Spirit would bring it alive in your hearts. Um, uh, Caleb's already introduced me. Um, I've been the pastor at LaRue Baptist Church since 1985. So that puts us at 38 years. Um, and uh, a- actually, it's 38 years, uh, March 31st. So um, I'm kind of the old guy. And uh, the old was, I mean, I was just talking to Caleb and Rachel when we got here. And it was, I said, you know, I probably started at LaRue before you were born. He's like, yeah like about 10 years. I said, like, okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, actually, I never thought I'd be at LaRue that long. And, uh, but the Lord has decided that's where I'm going to be. So I hope to be buried in the cemetery in town or outside of town when that time comes. Well, listen, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, our text for today is Genesis twelve ten through 31, but I'm going to start reading at verse 1 so that you can get the whole context of our text for this morning. So Romans 12, verse 1, you follow as I read. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Aaron yeah, on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, um, still going toward the Negev. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me. But they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had and Lot with him into the negative. Let's pray, shall we? God of heaven, we're opening your word now. And I would pray that you would give us help and hope through your word, that you would help us to understand it, so that we might live for your glory and honor, that we might know what, what the good life is that is in Jesus. So, Open the word of God, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Paul Savage was a friend of mine. A couple years ago, I stood at the foot of his casket as we committed his body to the ground. He lived the last few months of his life knowing that he had ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. But Paul actually was a man of faith. He believed the promises of God. Now, it's particularly evident in the last few months of his life. Because he believed that he was headed for glory, because he actually believed that he would be in the presence of Jesus and would be singing praises, because he believed those promises, he lived differently. He let everyone know, I've made it my goal to finish well. He invited the young people from our church to his house, He gathered them around his chair, and he told them, you got to live in ways so that you can end well. He didn't lose one ounce of joy in the whole ordeal, and he kept soldiering on, still witnessing. He had a little radio program that he had. He did that with Glenna until the day he died. Let's imagine for a moment that Paul did not have a vibrant faith. He wasn't living in the light of God's promise, and his faith faltered. It's not hard to do since you've seen others falter in their faith. In fact, I don't want to presume here, but I'll bet you faltered in your faith. I I might have seen one who turned into a frightened, despairing, maybe even an angry man, a man who instead of encouraging others would refuse to see other people. Maybe a weeping man who sat in his chair crying, Why me? Why is this happening to me? Well, in our text this morning, you have a case study in living by faith. Well, actually, it's not a case study of living by faith. It's a case study of what happens when you falter in your faith. Now, as we look at this, we have already seen that Abram exercises tremendous faith in God. God says, I want you to go to a land, and I promise you that land, and that land to your descendants. I want you to go to that land. And he did. And that was radical obedience because of his faith. God said, go to this land. When Abram started, he didn't know where he was going, but he said, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, I'm going to go. I believe in what you say. But in our text this morning, you see that he starts to forget the promises that God made to him, and he embarks on a course of action that reveals his lack of faith. Now, if you want to get to the point of this text, you've got to see that the main character here is not necessarily Abram, but it's God who remains true to his purposes and his promises. Now, what does God intend to do with this text? This is the question I always ask myself when I'm going to preach a text. What does God intend to do? to the people that are sitting here with this text. I mean, the Apostle Paul himself said they weren't written just for those people back then. They were written for those of us upon whom the end of the ages has come. That is, this was written for you sitting here in Arlington in the 21st century. God intended it for you. Well, what does God intend to do with this text? I believe God intends to motivate your faith, to help you uh, live a life of trusting God and His promises. Now, as you read this story, two questions come to mind. The first is, what happens when you do not trust God and his promises? What happens when you do not have a vibrant faith? That's the first question. The second question is, can you trust God or can you live by faith? All right. Now, the whole story of Abraham is propelled by Abraham's faith or lack of it through a number of conflicts that test his faith. And this is the first one that tests his faith. And after his radical faith in God, he falters. What happens when you do not trust God? What happens when you don't trust God? Well, let's look at it. Verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, He said to Sarai's wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Now, Abram has just entered the land of promise having come to Canaan, believing the promises of God. No sooner had he pitched his tent in this land of promise when he finds the land unable to support him and his family. There's a famine. What hope, then, was there for this great nation that God promised? What hope is there? If I can't feed my family, what hope is there for this nation that God has promised would be mine? At the very beginning of the whole project, it starts falling apart. Abram's faith is at once put to death. death. Abram's faith is put to the test. And he falters. He leaves for Egypt. Now, just before he enters Egypt, he finds himself faced with an insurmountable problem. His 65-year-old wife is dropped dead, gorgeous. Okay? Some Egyptian finding out that she's married would then kill Abram to get her. And if he dies, what's going to happen to the promise that God made him in that covenant? If he dies, there's no great nation. There's no descendants to possess the land. It all falls apart, right? If he dies... So he comes up with a plan. Look, we'll tell everybody that you're my sister. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I do not think that Abram sells Sarah's honor just to stay alive. I don't think that's what's going on. If he told everyone she was his sister, then any potential suitor would have to negotiate for her hand. And that might give him some time to figure out what to do. I think that's what's going on. If they know you're my wife, the only way to get you is to kill me. But if they think you're my sister, then they'll at least negotiate with me, and that might give us some time to escape any problems. Okay? So he's trying to buy time. All right? I don't want to lose my wife. But then he hits a snag that he hadn't counted on. He hits a snag he hadn't counted on. Someone gets interested in his wife who does not have to negotiate the most powerful man in the world at that time. He doesn't have to negotiate for this woman. See, as they enter the land, right, Pharaoh's staffers gets a view of this woman and go back to Pharaoh and say, hey, we found a real catch for you. She's unbelievably beautiful. And so the ruler of Egypt just takes her into his harem. With all his planning, Abram proves powerless. However, Pharaoh's not an unreasonable guy. He'll give him a dowry for his sister. And so, he gives him all these possessions. Now, at this point, I can see Abram going, ah! How did we get to this point? How did we get to this point? I had this brilliant plan. How did it end up like this? Well, brilliant as he is, he lacked one essential quality. You know what it was? Faith. He lacked faith. Now, you have to remember what God promised him. So look back at verses 2 and 3. All right? And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then verse seven. Then the Lord appeared to in the land. Uh, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So here are these promises, right? What did he promise him? He promised him a great nation. He promised him a great name that will prove to be a blessing. He promised that he would be a channel of blessing to the nations. He promised him the land of Canaan. But he also promised him honor and protection. Notice what he says. Um. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean if someone dishonors you, God's just going to say, Oh, bad boy, don't do that. It means if you dishonor Abraham, you'll pay the price. I'll curse you, right? You will pay the price. That's one of the promises. And even though Yahweh had promised him that he would bless the blessers and curse those who crossed him, that is, protect Abraham, Abram will manipulate and lie to accomplish his own safety and the safety of his wife. He won't believe, he'll manipulate. And Abram leaves Canaan and devises his schemes as if God had never promised anything, as if he didn't believe what God had told him. God had made those promises. He had to believe them. Now, I want you to notice carefully What the absence of faith produces. What does the absence of faith produce? First of all, there's a payoff, there's a reward. I want you to look at verse 13. Here's Abram talking to his wife. So you say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. Now drop down to verse 16. And for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram. Exact same terminology. You know what? He did well. He did well as a result of this. But the question is, at what cost? See, at what cost did it go well with him? Always remember this. The f- lack of faith always leads to sin. The lack of faith always leads to sin. Now, my wife is the best gardener this side of glory. Okay, man, she can make anything grow, especially and where we live. She says she says the soil where we live is angry because uh, she comes from Iowa with really nice black. Have you ever been to Iowa? It's got. Beautiful soil. And that's where she's from. That's what she's used to. So she calls the land around us, it's angry soil, right? But she can make anything grow. Last year, she didn't plant this part of the garden, right? And so it just laid there with the the dirt turned up all summer long, right? Do you think that happened? This isn't a trick question. You can shake your head or go yes or no. Is that what happened? No. What happened? Weeds grew, right? The weeds grew up. Well, when you don't live by faith, when you don't live with a vibrant trust in God, weeds will grow up. The weeds will grow. The sin will grow. And because Abraham didn't live by faith, look at the boatload of sin that he harvests because of it. There's fear of man, there's fear which is incompatible with trusting God. He feared. There's lying. There's thinking of self above everybody else. There's putting others in danger. There's silence. When he should have spoken up, this lack of faith kept him from protesting to Pharaoh for what he was going to do. There was the loss of his wife. It brings no blessing on others, right? He doesn't bless this nation. What happens? They get afflicted because of him. And later on, you know the story, later on he brings rebuke on himself from a pagan king, thus obscuring the glory of God. All of this grew up because he did not have faith. Now, if that's what lack of faith looks like, What does the life of faith look like at this point? Well, Abram could have been truthful about Sarah. And then he would have to depend on God to protect him. If Pharaoh would have left Abram and Sarah alone, or if he blessed them in some way, God would have blessed Pharaoh. Those who bless you, I will bless. But if Pharaoh would have made any move towards Sarah, dishonoring Abram, he would have been cursed and Abram's family protected. That's what would have happened. But you say, that seems impossible. That just looks impossible. Right. But isn't that the essence of faith? Isn't that the essence of faith? The essence of faith is believing God's promises even when it looks impossible. Now, let me just give you a little footnote here, a freebie. It's not in my notes, okay? What is faith? Well, you know, it's the assurance of things not seen, right? Hebrews 12.1. Well, think about that. If you have great faith and say, God... I know, I believe at the bottom of my heart that God is going to eliminate my credit card debt. Is that faith? Or is that foolishness? Well, it's foolishness. Well, why isn't it faith? You believe that God will do it. You're convinced of what you can't see. It's because God hasn't promised it. God hasn't promised it. Here's the simple definition of faith. Faith means taking God at his word. Believing what God has told you. God hasn't told you he's going to eliminate your credit card debt. Right? He hasn't told you that. He hasn't promised you that. Faith is taking God at his word. Abram, at this point, does not take God at his word. God had said, I will protect you. But wait a minute. This is the most powerful man in the world. He can do what he wants. Seems impossible that God could protect him. But that's what faith is. It's believing the promises of God even when it looks impossible. That is faith. Taking God at his word. Now, what does the lack of faith look like in your life? I want you to think about that. What does the lack of faith look like in your life? What sin do you see in your life because you don't believe God's promises? Are you full of fear? Are you full of fear? Are some of you here eaten up with fear? How about untruth and deception? Some of you struggle with that? I remember the job I had before I came to LaRue was I worked for Brock Bins. Brock Bins, you know, the corrugated bins, those big corrugated bins where they store grain. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? I would think out here in Arlington you would. (laughs) All right? That's where I worked. I worked in shipping. We were shipping a, a bin to Thailand. And the roof panels were on the truck. And I was going on the, the trailer of this truck with a pneumatic staple gun in my hand. All right? And as I walked by the roof panels, I don't know what happened. I still I can't remember all the details. I am, after all, old. But I remember the trigger went off a staple went in and i put holes in that in one or two roof panels now as i stood there i was confronted with something and that was i could be deceptive and not say anything the panels would get to thailand they'd put it together the first rain it would have it would leak and who knows what would happen to the grain but no one would know what happened or who did that or i could tell the truth which meant maybe, because they'd have to make those panels again, maybe I'd lose my job. What am I going to do, right? At that point, I had to believe the promise where God says, if you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, I will take care of you, right? And I believed that promise. I went to my boss, and I told him I didn't lose my job. God kept his promise. But even if I had he would keep that promise, Untruth and deception because of a lack of faith. How about disobedience and disrespect? I can see that there's not very many teenagers here. But what about disobedience and disrespect for your parents? Where does that come from? Ah, You know, the Lord's given me such stupid, ridiculous parents. They're just like dumber than dumb, and they don't see anything. Well, do you believe that God gave you the particular parents that he thought you needed? He has, by the way. Even if they're stupid and dumb. Like you think, those are the ones he wanted you to have. Maybe he wanted you to learn a few things from stupid and dumb parents. I don't know. But you're not believing what God's promise is. How about envy, impurity, and covetousness? What about that? Well, there's a lot of young people who fall into impurity... Because they don't believe that God has a good plan for their singleness. That God is not working for their good in their singleness. Right? I hate the celibate life. I hate it. i got to wait till I get married. Well, you don't believe that God is being good to you, do you? You see, take whatever sin you can name and trace it back to its root, and you will find a lack. Of faith. Now I'm not just saying that because I studied that and I said, Oh, that's a really good point for the sermon. When when I was looking through this and I was really trying to think this thing through, I started doing that. I started saying, you know, every sin, what I did yesterday, could I trace that back to a lack of faith? And without exception, I find that true. I find that true. Okay? Where you trace every sin back and at the root you will find a lack of faith. Unless faith grows, sin will blossom. The very first step in your fight against sin, the very first step is faith. You have to believe the promises of God. Now, this narrative was first heard by the Israelites who had just left Egypt This narrative that we read this morning was first heard by Israelites after they left Egypt, and they would have noticed some very interesting parallels to their situation. Like them, Abraham and Sarah went to Egypt because of a famine, right? Jacob took his whole tribe and went to Egypt in a famine. That's why they were there. Like them... Sarah and Abraham were threatened in Egypt. They were threatened. Like them, the promised seed was in danger. If Sarah remained in Pharaoh's harem, what would have happened to the promised seed through Abraham? It would not have happened. Right? The seed was in danger. And that promise of the seed was endangered when the Israelites were there because the Pharaoh was. Trying to kill the male babies, right? Here's another parallel. Like them, God used a plague to deliver Abraham and Sarah. Like them, Sarah and Abraham left with great wealth. Just like them. And like them, Sarah and Abraham were sent out of the land. Now, those parallels were included in this narrative for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose was? So that they would see that the God of Abraham and Sarah could be trusted. He'd done it before. He could do it again. Right? Moses wanted them to see that although these events had happened 400 years earlier, the same God could be trusted. That's why it's written the way it's written. Now, Moses wrote this narrative to drive you to the second question. Can you trust God? Can you trust God? All right. Let's pick it up where we left off. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Well, God sends a plague or a sickness on Pharaoh's household. Quite possibly he struck everyone except Sarah. And so he's going to ask some questions. Why aren't you subject to this plague? By the way, another freebie, footnotes. As I studied through the book of Genesis, I became convinced that the purpose of the book of Genesis is to show you how God protected the seed he had promised in Genesis 3. And the whole thing is about that. The whole book is about how God protected his promised seed. Okay? That's what it's all about. And so he does it here. He sends this plague. They ask Sarah what's going on. She tells him, well, I don't know. It might be. I'm really not Abraham's sister. I'm his wife. Okay? So Pharaoh summons Abraham and rebukes him for what he'd done. And then he expels them from his kingdom, sending him along with some officials to make sure they leave. But what becomes obvious is that although Abram did not believe the promises of God, God remained faithful to the promises he had made. You see, far from safeguarding the promise, right? Far from safeguarding the promise, Abram's crafty strategy nearly destroyed the whole plan, or so it appears to human eyes, right? It looks like you tried to do everything you could, and what happened? You just, it looks like you might have brought the whole thing down. He was gone from the promised land. Sarah was lost to Pharaoh's harem, and he, and looking like she would not bring the promised seed that God had promised through those two, And finally, instead of blessing the nations, he became the channel of disease and affliction. Instead of blessing them, he brought disease and affliction. But here's the point. Our sin can never thwart God's gracious promises. Despite Abram's failure, God remained faithful to his promise of protection. Protecting him and protecting that seed. And despite Abram's failure, God remained steadfast in accomplishing his purpose, the purpose of blessing the nations through Abraham's seed. By the way, because of what happened here, because God was faithful to His promises, you're here. You're here. You can trust God because nothing will keep him from fulfilling his plan of salvation. The God who called the universe into existence is not going to be thwarted by his (laughs) clever, manipulative human helpers. Okay? His plan will not be thwarted. Circumstances, folly, and even sin cannot stand in the way of God accomplishing his gracious purposes. That ought to give us some hope, don't you think? That even though we falter... God will not falter in keeping his promises. Do you ever think that you've botched it so badly that God's purposes have been frustrated for you? His gracious purposes? Maybe at work. Maybe with your children. Maybe you think that you'll never be suitable for any ministry. You have to remember, you cannot frustrate the grace of God. You cannot frustrate the grace of God. Even when you falter, he will remain faithful. So, is the lesson here, is it that you can be lazy or fudge difficult situations and God will win anyway? Is that the lesson? No. The lesson is that God's fame finds expression in the world. God looks great. He is magnified before a watching world when his people live by faith. That's the lesson. Live by faith and, and God will be magnified. We got to be people who live every day believing the promises of God, living our life by faith in the promises of God. God was going to bring Abram face to face again with difficulties over and over and over. He's like a trainer of a horse who keeps bringing the horse to the hurdles until the horse finally jumps and gets over. So with Abraham, he's going to test him and test him and test him until he becomes a man of faith. Now, look, here's the point. We all live in a gap. Think of it this way. We all live in a gap. A gap between what God promises and what is reality. Okay? There's the gap. Here's God's promises. Here's the reality. We're living in the gap. If you tell the truth, you may lose your job. Right? But do you believe the promise that God says, I'll provide for you? All right? Um you are you get a promotion man if no over here you get a promotion if you um if you really put the time in you work some overtime you may be gone from your family i don't know 3 4 nights a week but you'll be making more money as opposed to look be faithful to your children and your wife Right, You spend more time with your family as God intends. There's the gap. This marriage, this marriage seems like it's killing me. I want out. God says, be faithful. Because Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll give you life and life to the full. There's the gap. My neighbor's always trying to take advantage of me. I can't let them get away with anything more. Love your enemies. Live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. There's the gap. Your body aches all the time with this chronic condition, but God promises joy as you focus on glory. See, we live in a gap. And that gap is where we have to exercise our faith. There was someone else who lived in the gap between promise and reality. Someone else lived in that gap. The one who was promised all the nations as his inheritance was not received by his own people. The exalted son of man pictured sitting on the throne of judgment in Daniel chapter 7 is declared guilty by the Sanhedrin and condemned to death. Unlike Abraham, who lied to save his life, Jesus told the truth and lost his. The one who promised to rule the nations with a rod of iron was scourged by the Romans. The only sinless one ever to live on this earth was hoisted up on the cross as a criminal. You see, Jesus lived in the gap, right? He believed the promises that God had made him. And he lived by faith. And so you have to live by faith, trusting God's promises every day. And the only reason you can do that is because Jesus lived in the gap and died, believing the promises of God. And because of his faithful death, you can live a faithful life. Because you've been freed from the tyranny of sin by that death. And so you can live by faith. You're not tyrannized by sin any longer. You have the power now to live by faith. And you can count on the promises of God because he raised Jesus from the dead, guaranteeing that every promise he makes you, he will remain faithful. So, you can trust the God of Abraham because he's the God of Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. It's incisive. It it divides that which is indivisible. It helps us see what we're like, but it also gives us hope. Father, I pray for this people here. I pray that they would know And believe the promises of God. And that they would live by those promises. Even when reality seems entirely opposed. Even when reality says it's impossible. Help them to live by believing your promises. Oh God, give them help and hope. As they look at their lives. And not just look at the way they have faltered. But looking to Jesus who did not. So that they can live. God help them, I pray. Thank you for your word. We thank you for this table that's set before us. God, help us now to celebrate because of the faithfulness of Jesus who faced death because of your promises. Thank you for the promises embodied in this table. Use this now, Lord to remind us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.